welcome to another episode of The Two Old Fogey Yogis. Your hosts each week are Swami Shokananda and Reverend Prem, who between us have nearly 100 years of living La Vida Integral Yoga. And that's what makes us Two Old Fogey Yogis. <laughs> So today I was thinking to sort of grill you about okay. Hatha yoga. Now, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, uh, really a different subject because I've yeah. talked to you a lot about your meditation practice. And just for those who may be new to the podcast, you know, I'm always talking about the glories of Swami Ashokananda's meditation <laughs> practice, which I find so inspiring. You know, for 50 years, he's been on this path of integral yoga and deep dive into all things spiritual. And he's been meditating three times a day for 50 years. We've had some, if you've missed them, don't miss them because <laughs> yeah. amazing episodes where they're really master classes in getting your meditation practice going. And if you're already got one going, going deeper. Hmm. Now you. I'd like to ask you this question, because as if that wasn't enough, meditation master you are, you're a master Hatha yogi. So I'm confused because how do you do both? And what, what drew you? Was it sort of the same thing that inspired you to be so regular in meditation? I mean, just just tell us the whole story. What's the whole Hatha Yoga thing for you? The whole Hatha Yoga story. I think uh, I came to the Yoga Wai. I was still in college. And I saw the schedule. It said meditation, Hatha Yoga, scriptural study, karma yoga. I don't know. It really struck me as... What a wonderful way to live. Meditate together, do our Hatha Yoga together, then study the scriptures, and then put it into action. So Hatha Yoga was always, was always a part of my spiritual practice. And, you know, as an integral yogi, Gurudev always made that an important part. At one point, he said to the ashramites, uh, when the medical bills were going up, he said, you know, the organization isn't going to pay for medical bills if you're not doing your Hatha Yoga practice. You know, you, you should at least be doing your part to stay healthy. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. He always encouraged that very much. And in a way, that's the beauty of the Ashtanga Yoga system, Raja Yoga system, the eight-limb system, is that many spiritual approaches ignore the physical level. They actually don't encourage you to pay too much attention to it. But it's, it's really hard to ignore the body. If it's an okay shape, you may not think about it much. But if you keep ignoring it, it's going to call attention to itself and going to pull your consciousness right into it. I mean, I've been to beauty centers where you, know, you open the fridge and you see they all sorts of junk food. They're not, they're not that cognizant of taking good care of the body. I'm not putting down any organization, but uh, I just see that yoga made the physical level and they went very deep into how to take care of the physical level because Hatha Yoga includes both the asanas and the pranayama and the kriyas, uh, the cleansing practices. The yogis really understood that even, you know, if you read Hatha Yoga Pranipika, one of the seminal books on Hatha Yoga written about 600 years ago, it says that the purpose of asana pranayama is to reach the final limb in the eight-limb system, which is samadhi. And it's, it's really hard to reach that goal if you take out some of the limbs. It's like trying to climb a ladder with missing limbs. But he also says something very interesting. You won't be able to reach mastery 
in Hatha Yoga unless you are pursuing Raja Yoga. Because Hatha Yoga is not just a physical practice. You're learning to attune yourself to subtler and subtler levels. You're feeling the movement of prana that takes you more into the pranayama. I enjoy the physical aspects of the asanas greatly to be, uh, you know, make the body flexible and strong and vibrant. But it seems like the, the way I focus my mind and draw my attention to the subtlest sensations, even subtler than the physical sensations, makes the asanas so engaging for me. So wow. yeah, I, I do it. I, I practice my asanas six days a week, and then the seventh day I do a hatha yoga study. I'll wow. take a I'll take a, a book or a magazine, and I'll see what I can learn. Because you know I don't take that many classes anymore. There was a time actually when I started out, I just did integral yoga. I didn't look around for anything else. After about twenty years, I took a class. I think Iyengar or someone, and I couldn't believe how different it was. And I learned uh, that, oh, you can do things differently. The benefit of the way I did it was that I got so deeply ingrained in one school of practice that whatever I absorbed after that, I was able to see how I could integral yoga-ize it. What I was learning, how I could, like what you're doing, something like we're doing with Buddhism and your studies, you know, Tibetan Buddhism, that you can see how it deepens your understanding of the, of the tradition you're already in. Yeah. And that's what I found. So I did that for a few years. I think now my learning is mostly in my own uh, laboratory, my own body. But I do, like I say, on Sundays, I'll see what I can learn. I don't want to get stuck in thinking that I know everything. There are people who have also gone very deep into Hatha Yoga. I got to stop you here because okay. my mind is blown, as per <laughs> usual. You, you always blow my mind with how you take something like I'm thinking, okay, Hatha yoga. So what to be said about that? You know, most people think when you say you do yoga or you, you know, <laughs> yeah. you teach yoga or, you know, whatever. They're like, oh yeah, that was so cool. I love those exercises. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's just how yoga is known primarily in America, in the West, even today is like it's something you do as a workout maybe or as a good stretch it's just so body oriented and i know one thing that people remark and there's books like this isn't it like um uh, yoga body buddha mind or something like that mm -hmm. because it's like buddhism is thought to be oh that's the meditation right, yeah. that's the whole inner journey and yoga is the whole stretching and taking care of your body and uh it's kind of more an outer journey you know like yeah okay it's nice and maybe it's calming and relaxing to some extent but you know you want a good you know you want a hot yoga thing <laughs> yeah, right. you know you want a, a good flow you want to push those edges or yeah. whatever it is but i don't think primarily people think that hatha yoga is something like how you're mapping it out for us here. I really hope people will take a pause and really take a look at what this Hatha Yoga system really is and, and how it fits in the whole integral yoga system. Yeah. One thing from what you're saying, uh, it's not just in the West. As you know, uh, I teach in China now. When I went out there first time, maybe six years ago, they were amazing Hatha Yoga practitioners. They were basically gymnasts. You mean, so when you went, you were invited, somebody just said, oh, can you come and teach us something or other? And you went there not kind of maybe knowing what to expect. 
and then here they are already doing like like kind of advanced level i i think their body is different than americans body they're very limber i mean they were well beyond anything i could do in my prime but they were fitness instructors wow so was it even called yoga it was called yoga oh okay (laughs) but uh, they were fitness instructors they didn't they didn't know yoga and that's the beauty of it you know six years later i meet i meet with them every two weeks and we're still on zoom you know we're still they're still so keen now they teach meditation classes regularly uh they're so interested in the philosophy of yoga so just so you know that it's all over the world you know i travel a lot it's all over the world that yoga is asanas not even pranayama yoga is asanas then they go to buddhism to learn about the deeper levels of yoga (laughs) That drives me crazy. Uh, <laughs> Especially because everything we learn, I mean, going back to the 60s, you know, when Gurudev first came to America, yes, we all started with Hatha Yoga, right? But it was all part of a system. It was always introduced as part of a larger system. And I didn't even realize it in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, like you mentioned, that it talks about Ashtanga or eight limb oh, yeah. yoga. I thought that it's just focused in Hatha. That's it. So I love, just love to hear more about how your practice developed and evolved over time and, you know, kind of where you put your focus and just, yeah, kind of how it all unfolded. Yeah. I tend, picking my early days, I tend to be on the rigid side. I took Gurudev's class. I wouldn't consider any adaptations to that. So it was a pretty set class. As I started becoming a, a yoga trainer, teacher, teacher trainer in Hatha Yoga. Yeah, but how did it even transition from there? I mean, you start taking classes and is it a, a one level class or does it progress to other levels? How did that all go? I was just taking classes. I think someone... Shankar Shrobe or someone, one of the old timers said, uh, you should become a yoga teacher. And there wasn't really any trainings at that time. Talking about oh, had you been interested? Had you been interested in being a teacher? Or were you just going, taking it, taking the classes? You enjoyed it? That was it? Did you think of anything further? I don't think it came to my mind on my own. I think when anyone just presented to me, I said, hmm, maybe I could do that. There wasn't any formal training at that time. You would just uh, take classes and then he basically threw you in. <laughs> it wasn't there wasn't teacher training like in 1971 and i remember my first class uh i was teaching for a very popular teacher she couldn't teach her second class she was teaching two classes in a row and i and i remember i, I listened you know this is in west end avenue i'm listening through the door as she's teaching her class and i keep having to run to the bathroom i don't know i have to keep urinating and i guess i was so anxious <laughs> i was was i 20 i don't think i was 20 yet i was so nervous but, you know, something about the opening chance. And, and gradually, I, I got comfortable with the teaching idea. And then uh, we bought the building on 227 West 13th Street. But no, I, I was sent to Connecticut. So I taught my few classes. Then I was sent to Connecticut. Yeah, I taught there. Very standard integral yoga class. So that was an integral yoga center in, in Connecticut? Uh, yeah, well, I think it, start, it started out in Hartford. And then uh, we moved to New Britain. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I was sent back to New York. Eventually, I went to the ashram in Connecticut. I went there and then back to New York. And eventually, I, I went to the ashram in Virginia for 13 years. Oh, let me see what I can say about the evolution of my practice and teaching. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, there was never any 
intermediate teacher training or advanced teacher training. But as I just kept my practice growing, and a lot of people in integral yoga, a lot of particularly the Swamis, didn't take Hatha yoga that seriously. And why do you think that is? I think Gurudev, you know, definitely encouraged it. But it wasn't like Iyengar Yoga who felt, you know, this is, this is yoga, you know, Hatha yoga is yoga. But, why do you th- th- but do you think that it was because that sense of like, yeah, there's people who are studying yoga and it's just like the physical yoga, but now we really want to go maybe sort of quote deeper, you know, and into the philosophy or, you know, other practices and, you know, get a kind of a fuller sense and practice of yoga i think that's true and if it's true it was uh not good thinking and why because i really see if you stick with hatha yoga how it pays off Mm. yeah this is what i need to hear because i really want to get back i'm one of those people who you know i loved i practice every day and then fell off you know for other practices that I just decided to do. And of course, you know, karma yoga was something I just loved so much. And I just started making more and more time for that, less and less for Hatha or formal meditation. And, you know, now I'm trying to really get back to my roots here. And so I really appreciate the inspiration for why regular Hatha practice can be so valuable. Yeah, I think you have to see this karma yoga. That self-care allows us to serve more effectively for a longer period of time. You take care of yourself through all the practices, but Hatha is in a key component. It's not how long, how much time we spend serving. Quality is what's important. And that quality is based on the instruments that are that energy is flowing through. Yeah, so if you could even say, as you sort of think about this trajectory of your involvement with Hatha Yoga, what you've seen the benefits of having a reg- regular practice to be? You know, uh, one thing I can say that comes to my mind with that question is for some reason loon meditation it would be pretty common for me to nod out collapse forward and lose consciousness at some point during noon meditation and maybe low blood sugar because i didn't really have breakfast uh, i don't know what it was but i see that what they call in yoga tamas a certain dull low vibratory energy that can overcome the body and mind if you're, do, if you're very regular in a, in a, I say, a skillful, attentive Hatha yoga practice, it's going to be hard for you to vibrate at that low level. You're just too fine-tuned. You're like, a, I don't know, a Ferrari as opposed to like an old Duke or something. You're, you're wow. just, yeah, you're just getting so well-oiled machine. I don't know what the right word there is that uh, it, it did affect my capacity to sit with my mind and have clarity of mind. Wow. Yeah. And of course, it's physically to sit comfortably. You know, if you want to sit for more than a half hour, you need to have your knees, your hips, your back, your spine all need to be, you know, cooperating. (laughs) So, so, you know, you really want to be able to forget the body when you meditate. And you can't do that if the body is full of aches and pains. And that isn't that what they say is the, I mean, the tradition says that is the foundational purpose of Hatha Yoga, in addition to, I guess, the more subtler benefits, uh, you know, in the energy field and koshas and all of that, but that primarily that was why back in the day of the ancient rishis, you know, the and the ancient yogis, why they began a practice of Hatha Yoga was to support meditation. Yeah. Yeah, Patanjali just says, uh, he defines asana as a stukasiram asana, just a steady, comfortable position. But to do that, you might need all these other, at least some of these other positions to work out the kinks. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's true. Just if your body's in good shape, just sit 
steady and comfortable. I think Gurudev in the end just used asanas when he, when he started to feel some creaks here and there. I don't think he, he needed to practice on a regular basis. Yeah, that's what he always said that he didn't. And I would, you know, in traveling with him, I would see that sometimes, you know, after a long plane flight, long journey, you know, he'd pull out the yoga mat mm. and do a few asanas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But like someone like uh, Mr. Iyengar, you know, his teacher, Sri Krishmacharya, told him to stop doing asanas. Why? Uh, he says you're too caught up at that level. You're ah. stuck. You're stuck. Wow. And, but Iyengar says, sorry, sir. Uh, I, I have total respect for you, but that's not possible. So, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was dying day. He went against his guru. Yeah, because I uh, thought I saw pictures of him till like, yeah, literally yeah. his dying day doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I have no way of knowing or judging Mr. Angar, but he's someone who, who, who felt that was the key practice. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he meditated, but there may come a time. If I get enlightened, I might, maybe I'll do asanas four or five times a week. Instead of <laughs> <laughs> you know, so even though now I, I, I'm a trainer, I, I, I don't train level one anymore. There are people who, who, who work better at that level than me. You know, it's good to know what your niche is eventually, you know, and I see if you have some, I do better with more experienced people. And the introductions to our advanced trainings when we introduce ourselves, I have to say, I say I never took this training. <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up in Jukuyoga, we didn't have these trainings yet. They came later on, you know, all these trainings. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once I started training and I was very clear about how the participants should practice and they would knock against me. How did you think they should practice? I'll give you an example. Sri Namaskar traditionally is made up of 12 positions. Okay. And one, one person came, took TT said, after this position, I want to do this movement, what we now call Anjane Asana. I want to be able to reach up. I said, are you crazy? <laughs> any, any position for thousands of years, we have this tradition of Surya Namaskar, and you're going to change it, right? <laughs> and the person said, oh, okay, so I'm... <laughs> But the person had the gumption at satsang. I, I saw the question. Can some such and can we practice? Can we do this in Surya Namaskar? I couldn't believe the person went over my head. <laughs> and Gurudev said, What did Gurudev say? So Gurudev said, uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, can, can you come up and show me? So the person got up on the stage. He showed him. Gurudev says, Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and again, again and again, he made me realize that these are not fixed things. Don't get too caught up in the small stuff, man. I began to loosen up. Now I'm considered a, a little bit of a radical. I, you know, maybe far left. I consider myself just left of center. Okay. <laughs> uh, left of center means I am totally, completely, wholeheartedly invested in my tradition. Yeah. And I, I recognize that there's room for some adaptability. If somebody, you know, came up and interviewed you, Swami, what is the heart of the integral yoga hatha tradition? What would you say? What is that? I use Gurudev's words uh, if I believe them. He said to me, look, don't be too rich about anything. The only thing we're concerned about is it's safe and it's meditative. Okay. We're not going to push someone beyond their limits. We're not going to hold them back. We're not going to make it so gentle that they're not making progress or not experiencing the benefits, we're going to make sure that it stays safe. That's a fine art, understanding this idea of the edge. What's, yeah. a person, what's a person's physiological and psychological edge? And you work from there. If you immediately back away from it, 
which some people think that's integral yoga. Oh, no, no, we don't touch the edge. Then you get lazy, complacent, and maybe not much happens. You stay in the same place for years and years. If you push past the edge, you're, you're going to hurt yourself. And the body contracts. The body says, oh, there's a stupid person in charge here. I got I to take, contr take control. And the nervous system, as you're trying to stretch further, the nervous system says, no, no, no. And you get hurt. So, but if you can play skillfully with the edge, if you can understand that the edge is changing a little bit with each breath, the edge is not a, a location. Not it's a like fixed, a, fixed Not a fixed point. location, yeah it's, yeah. it's a sensation that you're staying in touch with. Then it's amazing how much you can grow and learn from the asanas. Mm. So I think safe and meditative. I don't want to say anything else. But could you say something about the meditative aspect too? Because that certainly sets integral yoga apart too in many ways. And yeah, yeah and it'll be interesting to hear more from you too and what you think is unique to the system. To me, what position we put the physical body in is secondary to the awareness that we're holding on to as we put the body in that position. As we put it in, as we retain it, as we move out, the awareness of what's happening, what am I experiencing, where's my, my mental focus? To me, that's the key and what makes the asanas powerful. And I think it's, it should be the key element in any, for any interview with teacher. Sensitivity, sensation, what's coming up on the emotional level, because uh, as you work these different parts, uh, things get released. Sort of like a gentle rolfing experience. And what do you do with, with that material? The student is having this internal experience. The teacher is there sort of guiding. What's that relationship? Can you give an example of what I should be attending to? In, you know, my awareness. I might feel, oh, that's, you know, I'm a little tight here. I mean, to what depth does your awareness go? And then as a teacher, how do you assist me, I guess, if you do? You know, a lot of it is internalized, what I've, what I've been saying. It's almost as if your being conveys a good amount of it. Because there are people who can say the words, who can mimic a teacher, like someone who just graduated from a 200-hour training, can say the same thing, words that I say. Some of them do copy what I say. But somehow, the power behind the words isn't there, and the students don't get. So that's one thing. You have to be what you want to convey. Without that, you're not really a teacher yet. You're, you're a yoga instructor. You're, you're sharing what you learned. You haven't really become a teacher yet. And is the teaching from both your practice plus your experience in teaching? Because I hear a lot of people say, you know, oh, integral yoga class, they just do the same thing the whole time. It's like a script. Heard that kind of thing with some people who are thinking about taking our training. You know, they'll just say, well, I just heard that it's like you just memorize a script and then you just like a parrot about all of that. You know, is that how it is? How do you evolve as a teacher? A script? has some utility. We've honed the words to a very clear, specific way. Like my mom, she took TT with me. Your mother took teacher training. Yeah, yeah. Your mother took yoga teacher training. How mm -hmm. old was she <laughs> and why? And Okay. She was in her 50s. She taught the HIV class here for 34 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She memorized the script. And for 34 years, she taught that script. I said, Ma, wouldn't it be nice to add a few new things to the class? She said, oh, okay, I, I could try. I started sharing some stuff with her. She said, you know, okay, sweetheart, you know what? 
let me just stick to what I know. Uh, <laughs> and so, did, her, did her students stick with her all that time? To you wouldn't believe the outpouring of love for because every word of that script resonated with the energy from her heart. She oh. was not repeating a script. She, she knew her lines, but she was coming directly from the heart. I never, that would kill me. I would, I would, I would stop teaching within two months if I, had to, if I taught like that. I need to mix it up just for my own enjoyment. Yeah. But, she, but she could teach the same thing for 34 years, and every word was, was full of shakti, full of prana, uh, mm. full of love, I would say. Wow. Yeah. So there's a utility in, in, in a script, but if you graduate from TT and you just parrot the script, uh, they'll ask you to take the test over again. Wow. And they'll say, no, no, you got to bring your own feeling, your own understanding into it more. Made some progress in not being that school that this is known as a gentle school for people who... Yeah, why is it known as a gentle school? Shouldn't it be known as the meditative school? Yeah, I think we got falsely labeled that way. Uh, it is a deep practice, integral yoga. I followed integral yoga and moved through different levels to an advanced level. Uh, I'd like to see integral yoga known for that, that you can practice all the way through the very advanced levels in integral yoga. Yeah, I think that's part of our, I don't know, marketing branding issue that we have to make people know that it's a very powerful, deep system of, of Hatha yoga. Until you really have made Hatha Yoga your own. You're following what other people have taught you. You're, you keep trying to learn from other people. And I think it's good for some period of time. But I think along with that, like you should have like, a, as you're practicing, you should have a, a, like a pad and pen nearby because you may not remember everything you're learning as you're practicing. And gradually you play, you know, you do it on the laboratory of your body and then as you say, you know, I, ex I experimented with, with, with the students and then I see what works, how I have to modify things because something that works for my body, I see doesn't work for someone else's body. So it's yeah. really, you really need to have that dual approach. You're going deep in your practice and then your ability to share what you're learning and your passion for it, the inspiration you are drawing and that's nurturing you with your students. Is that kind of the formula? If you want to become, move from a good teacher to a great teacher, that's the formula. Okay. And then what about, what's the formula for a good student? What are you doing in integral yoga to really deepen your practice of Hatha yoga? It may be different for different people. I think some people, I think like Ram Wiener, maybe he, he, he likes the same practice every day. I think it goes deep into that practice, but he'll do the same practice every day we should just mention rom is the head of programs and yeah. he's a vice president yeah yeah he's the vice president of yeah. the ashram of the academy i think yeah yeah and the academy integral yeah. yoga academy yeah yeah for me i do a different practice every day for seven weeks and then after the seventh week i do i go back to the first week wait so, a minute this is so, like your meditation practice. You've got a whole <laughs> formula going. On. And yeah. have you been doing this all along or? It's developed over the years. I think at first it was like a four week cycle. Okay. But as you know, but in that Sunday study, I would, I would see, oh, let me try this out. Oh, I like it. Let me add it to my practice. I can't, I don't have much more time. I can only spend like an hour or so in my practice. An hour of asanas, then a 15 minute uh, yoga nidra, some pranayama. So uh, I had to say, okay, I got to add a fifth week. Sixth week, seventh week. <laughs> now, now I haven't been adding so much. Actually, now I'm starting to maybe 
decrease. I don't need to do that much variety. So on Monday, week one, I have a certain practice. Tuesday, different practice. Went up to Saturday. And then the next week, week two, Monday, they're all different practices for, I think it's four, it was seven, 42 days, six times seven, 42, 42 yeah. different practices. Mm -hmm. And then I go back to number one. Number one again. Yeah. And, and I, what, are, what are you trying to do in these practice sessions and weeks and, you know, this formula? What, what is it you're doing? Wanting to <laughs> I mean, one, one thing might be a little bit of weakness is that uh, I get bored by a lack of variety. <laughs> My yeah. mind gets restless. So I, yeah. I, I like to do different. That's a little yeah. bit of what we call Rajas, a little bit of restlessness. I like to do different things. But I think a deeper reason is if you stick to the same thing, you're missing parts of the body. You're not getting every certain areas of the connective tissue, certain parts of the, uh, of the joints. You're, not, you're missing something if you don't do some variety in your practice. So I can see that, you know, when I do certain stretches, I don't get that stretch in, in any other pose. So I do think that it is very helpful to mix things up. I know, you know, Bikram came up with 26 asanas and that's what you do. And some people in the yoga feel that it's a set practice, but uh, I feel the benefit of variety in the practice. So you're making sure that every part of the body is being drawn into the practice. And then what are you doing internally? As you're mixing it up for yourself, is there sort of a common thread internally that runs through your practice? And could you describe a little bit of how you approach that? Because you were talking about awareness and what you're you know, tuning into. What's that inner experience like? I think awareness becomes dull when we do things repetitively on automatic. So like this morning, I was in a, a certain part of Namaskar. And I'm thinking, I, I never, I, this is new to me. I've never done this before. It's the same thing, but I have to approach it as if I've never done this before. A beginner's mind. Beginner's mind. Okay. And, what, and what am I learning? What am I feeling? And, I'm, and I remember this morning saying, oh, that's what I'm feeling. I don't know if I was aware that that's where I'm feeling this. How can I convey that? You know, I, 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 because I am a teacher now, my mind goes, does go to what I'm experiencing and how do I convey that? How, so how can you share that with your yeah. students? Nice. How do I articulate what I'm experiencing now? And that also helps me to, to feel it more deeply, just trying to find the words that describe what I'm feeling. So I think the key is, I've never done this before. I don't care if you've done it a million times. I've never done this. This I've never done before. Yeah, because today, I mean, that <laughs> is what, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about mindfulness, prayer, you know, Eckhart yeah. Tolle talks about, you know, presence, the now, power of the now. Because yeah. it's like every moment you've ne you have, it's true. You've never had that this moment before. You will never have this moment again. <laughs> <laughs> I, ne I never did this Bujang Asana before. So pay attention. You're never going to do this Asana again. This is the last time doing this Bujang Asana. <laughs> You're going to say goodbye to it. You know, pay attention. You know? Yeah. So I think and, that's the key. Yeah. And what are you paying attention to? I mean, is there something you're paying attention to in addition to the movement in the body, the sensations, what are the kind of things you're attending to? Yeah, I've, for the last few decades, I'm mostly attending to the pranic level. Whoa. Which means that where's the source of which this, the energy of this asana is coming from? Is it coming from the muscles? Is that the source? Is it coming from another source? Paying attention to what's the initiating factor for moving into this position? What's the initiating factor? 
What sustains it? What's the sign that I should come out of it now? You know, how long do I hold it? Uh, all those things, you can have set timings, but there's something beautiful about just listening. I haven't gone as far as like Eric Schiffman. Like, uh, what do you mean by that? He recommended you get on your mat and you have no prescribed understanding of what you're going to do. And you trust the body's intelligence will know exactly what it needs. I've tried to do that sometimes. It's kind of fun. You just kind of roll around. Maybe not be asanas, but the body's figuring out what it wants. But uh, I haven't quite got to that place where I, I can tune in and let the body's intelligence guide me. But I am wanting to be very attuned. I'm, I'm prescribing the practice, but I'm very attuned to how the body wants to practice this pose. It's like a fine tuning of that awareness. Yeah. I mean, I may start, I, I'm, I'll say, what's the physical sensation? Where do I feel? Where? And do I feel anything underneath that? Is there any sensation underneath that? Oh, yeah. There's an energetic component to this also. I can, if, I, if my mind is calm and still, oh, I can feel the flow of prana now. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. You can't do that. The mind is, is either active or paying too much attention to the physical level. You'll miss what's happening underneath the surface. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. So it's kept my interest these 50 years. I think it'll keep my interest for a long time to come. Wow. If you were to summarize what you feel the benefit on all levels is from that regular practice. A strong immune system that I'm very ready to get sick. It's helped me in my interaction with people to quiet down, tune into my energy, the energy in the interaction and to have a more beneficial result from the communication. Incredible. Uh, I can sit and not think about the body when I meditate. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, most people my age now need to sit in chairs. Uh, yeah. I would never want to sit in a chair to meditate. You know, I'm very comfortable on the floor. Not just the floor. Padmasana is my thing. I love Padmasana. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I should say that's a lotus pose. The lotus pose, yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And you should say at your age. Yeah, so I'm 68. I'll be 69. My body still feels like a friend to me. I have I have a little aches issues here and there, but they usually pass. Amazing. If I, if, if I pay attention to them, they I can work with them. Amazing. And for someone who wants to develop a practice, and they say, "Look, I'm, you know, I'm trying to meditate every day. You know, I got kids to take care of. I got a job. How do I fit all of this in?" I know when I started my Hatha practice, it was like. You did an hour and a half or an hour and 15. What do you recommend for how do you build a regular practice given, you know, the hectic nature of modern life, et cetera, et cetera? I think 15 minutes is good. Find out what you need most, not just what you like most. What do you need most? Do you need to develop more flexibility in certain areas? Do you need to develop strength? You know, as you get older, you have to be worried about the muscles deteriorating, uh, osteoporosis. So you should, you should be paying attention to what, what does my body need? You should ask it. 15 minutes could be good. If you stay regular 15 minutes, five days a week, you'll feel a different person. We're amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I could talk to you. I feel like we could talk about this forever. It is such a joy and such a privilege to talk with someone who has been practicing for 50 years. <laughs> It's just amazing. Thank you so much, Ashokanandaji. It's such a pleasure for me to talk on this subject. I, there's not that many people who, who really love to talk about Hatha Yoga. I do. I, I love it. Yeah. Wow. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pramanjali. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and will join us again for next week's episode. Please do follow and subscribe to the podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And for more information about everything Integral Yoga, you can go to IntegralYoga.org. Om Shanti.